Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot of talk about pronouns lately. The English language, as a result, is being butchered. It was bad enough over the last few decades using they and them instead of he or him for an unnamed individual. If I want to talk about someone but don't want to reveal if that person is a male or female, proper English would require me to refer to that person using he or him. But it seems to be more common in our day to use they or them. For example, someone might say, let me tell you about my friend, but my friend does not want me to give you their name. I just use the plural when referring to a singular person. It should be his name. My friend does not want me to tell you his name. Whether that friend is male or female, it does not matter. That masculine pronoun is to be used. This friend is not multiple people, after all. Thankfully, in the church, we continue to use proper English. For example, when confessing the creed, we say, who for us men and for our salvation. Let it be known to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that women are not excluded from this statement. The English language and Christianity are not being sexist. So that's one way in which the English language has been being butchered with respect to pronouns. I probably don't need to add that the English language is further being butchered by those who desire to make up their own personal pronouns. When you heard the reading from Isaiah tonight, Isaiah 52 and 53, you heard a large number of pronouns. Generally, the first person pronouns we or our, when they're used in the plural, refer to the believer. There's a couple of times where I is used, where God is the one speaking. Also, generally, the second person pronouns, he and him, refer to Jesus and the passion that Jesus is going through. It's amazing that this is being written of 700 years before our Lord's passion actually takes place. And usually the third person pronouns, they and their, refer to those who do not believe or are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. Tonight I'd like to consider those first two. The first person plural, we, our, and the second person, he and him. All of the first person plural pronouns, we, are are found in Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. The portion of Isaiah from chapter 52, and then the six verses that follow in Isaiah 53, do not use 
that first person plural. They are quite a contrast from the works and ways of Jesus described in, his, in this epistle. The first begins with unbelief. Who has believed our report? Verse Isaiah 53.1. What report? The report of the suffering servant. That Christ Jesus will come to die to take away the sin of the world. That a man bears the sin in his own body. That he is a lamb led to the slaughter who will die to take away the sin of the world. That it is not an animal, but a man who will make atonement for the sins of the people. And that the Son of God is truly the propitiation for our sins. The question, who has believed our report, is a question that we can still ask today. Many still do not believe this report. This is why many do not bother to hear it, or many do not desire to repent of their sin, and many will not cling to Christ with trust. The next first person plural pronouns are described of what man thinks of Jesus. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse, 52 continue, or verse 2 continues, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. While well, this account speaks specifically about the time Jesus is crucified and man's reaction, this also describes our natural self. The natural man does not desire Christ. The natural man, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, likes to hide his face from him just as Adam and Eve did after they had sinned. We like to esteem ourselves and our works, the works of our hands and the works that our children and grandchildren do, rather than esteem our Savior and his all-sufficient sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. The last time that pronoun we and us are used is when Isaiah declares in verse 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are likely to wander off, not considering the dangers like sheep are wont to do. Thinking we are wise, we then become fools. But true wisdom is found in the word of God. It stems from fear of the Lord 
and it lets go of the supposed wisdom of the world. Turning to our own way, we are tempted to trust in ourselves that we are righteous, and then we begin to despise others. Finally, Isaiah uses the adjective our several times, our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities. In a month, we will hear a number of high, in a month, the world will hear lots of high school commencement speeches. Rightfully so, they are usually filled with much hope. But they go by the assumption that natural man is pretty well behaved, that he is motivated, and that he is bright. But here Isaiah reveals the true reality of natural man, that he is filled with sin. And in this fallen world, we deal with many griefs and sorrows. That him is right. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It wonderfully accuses. But the hymn could go even further. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not trust in Jesus. Do not repent of our sins. Do not gather in God's house when services are offered. Do not read our Bibles. Do not tell others the wonderful works of God. Do not reprove, rebuke, or correct when it is our place to do so, or do not focus on our Lord's most holy passion. In contrast to these pronouns, you have that second person pronoun referring to Jesus, and they are absolutely astounding of what they say concerning our suffering servant who he is, and what he has done for us and for our salvation. Isaiah writes, beginning in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Later, Isaiah reports, he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. O darkest woe, our God is dead. The book of Isaiah has aptly been named or called the Old Testament Gospel. I referred to it a little bit earlier as an epistle. For so it is a wonderful letter proclaiming the wonderful works of Christ. Isaiah describes in great detail the suffering of our Savior and what he went through to take away our sin. 
more so than any other book in the Bible. He prophesies that our Lord will die to make atonement for the sins of the world, that Jesus will shed his blood as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, to make a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to our Father. Today would not be considered Good Friday if Jesus had simply died. But Jesus died for you, bearing your sin in his own body and rendering the atoning sacrifice for your many sins. This means that he offered himself up as that ransom payment for your sin. And through this payment, your sins are truly taken away. Let there be no doubt about it. In Christ, you are now truly righteous. You have been buried with Christ in your baptism, and you have been raised with him in that same baptism. You have been adopted into God's family through baptism, and therefore you have been elevated to the status of being a brother or sister to our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has done this all for you because he offered himself as that ransom payment and through this payment, your sins are gone. Had Jesus done none of these things, Good Friday would not be good. But since he did everything that the Father had sent him to do, fulfilling his Father's will, our sins are truly paid for. God died on the cross, and this day is then a good day. He died because that way he could defeat death and that we may live eternally. In fact, this too is prophesied by Isaiah. We heard beginning in verse 11, When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. This death of our Lord Jesus Christ is not the end of him. It was the conclusion of his stages of humiliation as he is buried. And now that he has died to take away the sin of the world, and is buried, then the stages of his exaltation begin. He, in fact, descends into hell not to suffer any further, but to proclaim his victory and to, and to prove that Satan, hell, sin, and death have no power over him. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, we give thanks to thee that thou hast died to set us free, made righteous through thy precious blood. We now are reconciled to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
to life everlasting. Amen.